welcome to another episode of the Global Storytime Podcast, where every two weeks I bring you a folktale from a different country or culture so that we can get to know that place better. And every two weeks I also release an episode that helps us learn more about that country or culture from where the story was written. I'm your host, Diane Strand. This week, we're going to Indonesia. I chose Indonesia this time because the holiday of Ramadan, the Islamic month-long holiday about self-reflection, starts on Monday, April 12th this year. And so I thought I would bring you a story from the country with the largest Muslim population in the world. To start learning about Indonesia, let's first find it on a map. The Republic of Indonesia, as it is officially called, is a part of Asia and is an archipelago between the Pacific and Indian Oceans. If you remember from last episode when we discovered that Cuba is also an archipelago, then you know that an archipelago is a group of islands. In this case, it's a lot of islands. Indonesia has over 17,000 islands that make up the country, though only about 9,000 of them are named, and 922 have people living on them. There's actually so many islands that the exact number is a mystery. And because the country lies on the edge of a few tectonic plates, there's underwater volcanic activity that can, and have, produced new small islands. The biggest islands in the country are Sumatra, Java, and Sulawesi. And one of the most famous islands is Bali. There are also other islands where only part of it belongs to Indonesia, like the island of Borneo, which is split between the countries of Indonesia, Malaysia, and Brunei, and the island of New Guinea, which is pretty evenly split between the countries of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. There's also the island of Timor, which is split between Indonesia and Timor-Leste. To the north of Indonesia lies Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, the South China Sea, and the Philippines. To the east is Papua New Guinea, to the south is Australia, and to the west is the Indian Ocean. The capital of Indonesia is Jakarta, and it's the second largest city in Southeast Asia. The size of the country is just over 735 miles squared, which is basically the size of the western United States of Washington, Idaho, Oregon, Utah, California, Nevada, and Arizona all put together. The population is 270.6 million, which is about 80% of the population of the U.S. And now it's time to delve into the history of the country. The earliest evidence of humans in Indonesia has been dated back to 1.5 million years ago. This discovery was a fossilized skeleton called Java Man because it was found on the island of Java. In 800 BC, innovations like making bronze and cultivating rice made their way to the archipelago from Thailand. Pottery and weaving cloth became key cultural practices for the area at that time. If you've ever worn or admired a shirt or a blanket with an iCat design, which is spelled I-K-A-T, and is a pattern of multicolored diamonds, then you have appreciated an Indonesian art form that is thousands of years old. In 200 BC, explorers from India made their way to the island of Java looking for the goddess Sita and ended up staying. Over the next thousand years, more people from the Indian subcontinent moved to the island of Java, starting several kingdoms that rose and fell. They also brought Buddhism and Hinduism, which took turns in being the most widely followed religion on the island. 
One of these kingdoms was the Terramanagera, which was known for building canal systems, mining gold, and trading in rhinoceros horns and turtle shells. Did you know that there were rhinoceroses in Indonesia? I did not. The Java rhino is the rarest of all rhinos, and there are currently only 74 of them left. Fortunately, they live in a highly guarded preserve on the island of Java. Later, the Singasari dynasty formed and grew to be so large that in 1292, Kublai Khan, who was ruling China at the time, heard about this kingdom and demanded a tribute or a gift from the island. Because, I guess, after your family has conquered half the world, you can just demand that rulers of smaller kingdoms give you something. So Kublai Khan sent down some emissaries to collect the gift. But the Singasari ruler, King Karatanagara, was not having any of that. Instead, he cut the cheek of one of the emissaries and sent them back to China. Kublai Khan was so insulted that he sent an army down to the island of Java, and the Singasara kingdom quickly came to an end. The moral of that story is, don't mess with the Khans. They mean business. Meanwhile, on the island of Sumatra in the 17th century, Persian explorers had set up a southern spice route, connecting Sumatra and the surrounding islands to what is present-day Yemen and Oman after they discovered cloves, nutmeg, mace, and sandalwood. These islands quickly became known as the Spice Islands. And this is how Islam made its way to Indonesia and started a shift away from the Indian cultural influences, language, and rule. Over the next thousand years, Islamic religion and leadership spread throughout the rest of the islands that make up Indonesia. In the late 13th century, the Europeans started to arrive. You knew it was only a matter of time until they would show up. It started with the Italian Marco Polo, who visited Sumatra in 1292 and wrote about the spice trading posts that he found. 300 years later, the Portuguese explorer Francis Magellan landed in the Maluku Islands, which are a part of present-day Indonesia, and returned to Europe with a boat full of cloves. This set off a race among European countries to gain control of the spice trade. The Portuguese sent ships of soldiers and missionaries to set up shop in Java and made agreements with the local population to build some forts. However, it wasn't long before the locals began to resent the control that the Portuguese were trying to take and a war broke out. It lasted five years and ended with the defeat of the Portuguese. But then the Dutch came. They arrived in 1602 with more financial backing, weapons, and organization, allowing them to establish the Dutch East India Company, and they took over complete control of the spice trade. The Dutch East India Company lasted 200 years until the Napoleonic Wars in Europe weakened the Netherlands and the company fell apart. The Dutch retained their colonial control over the islands, however, and slowly expanded their territory to include all of present-day Indonesia and then some. In the beginning of the 1900s, the indigenous populations started to organize and fight for independence. The Dutch tried to repress any national movement, arresting thousands of people over the years. At the start of World War II, Japan saw an opportunity to fight against a European nation while also helping the nationalist movement, and they invaded the islands. When Japan fell to the Allied forces, they began to leave the country, and Indonesia finally declared its independence from the Netherlands in 1949. I'll leave it there, but there is so much more especially because all of the inhibited islands that make up Indonesia have their own histories. So if you want to know more, you know what to do. Ask the internet, 
and check your sources. Now let's get into the languages of Indonesia. There are over 700 living languages spoken in Indonesia, which is about 10% of the languages spoken in the entire world. It is the second most linguistically diverse country in the world after Papua New Guinea. The national language is Indonesian, which is from the Malay family of languages. Indonesian is a bit of a melting pot language, kind of like English, and it has words from regional languages like Javanese and Sudanese, as well as Dutch, Sanskrit, Portuguese, and Arabic. As we just learned, there have been so many different cultures that have dominated the region throughout history that it makes sense that their languages might meld together. Though large businesses, schools, and the media all use Indonesian, it is actually a second language for most people within the country. Most people's first language is whatever they speak on their island or in their region. Javanese is the most widely spoken language with 40% of the population speaking it. Javanese is the second most widely spoken language with 40% of the population speaking it. In addition to all of those indigenous languages, which did I mention, there are a lot. There are also what is called heritage languages, which are foreign languages that were introduced to the islands hundreds, if not over a thousand years ago, that are still spoken by descendants of those ethnic groups. These languages include a few Chinese dialects, Tamil, which is an Indian language, and Arabic. Oddly enough, even though the Netherlands had a presence in the region for 350 years, Dutch is only spoken by a very small minority of people. As diverse as the languages are, the religions are pretty diverse too, although you might not realize it at first. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Indonesia has the largest population of Muslims in the world, partially because it has a pretty large population. So it stands to reason that Islam is the most widely practiced religion, with 86% of the population following it. The government claims to support freedom of religion. However, there is an official philosophical branch of the government that states that everyone should believe in one true God, but doesn't specify which God that is, as the government officially recognizes six religions, Islam, Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Confucianism. The fundamental belief that everyone needs to follow a religion is so important to the Indonesian government that when an adult gets their government-issued ID, they have to choose one of those six religions to be printed on it, which means that some people may say they follow a certain religion even if they really don't. And as you can imagine, a country that is made up of so many different islands with their own histories, traditions, and languages will have followers of more than just six religions. There are, in fact, reportedly hundreds of local indigenous religions that are still practiced today. These religions focus on animal and earth spirits. Some of them are partially blended with any of the six official languages, and some may also include shamanism, or what we might call black magic. There are also very small populations of people who practice Judaism, the Baha'i faith, and Sikhism. And there are also atheists, because blasphemy, which could include speaking against religion or proselytizing a religion, is illegal. There has unfortunately been a history of imprisonment and suppression of religious minorities. All right, let's move on to something lighter. 
like the national food of Indonesia. Indonesian food is a mix of many different cuisines like curries from India, rice dishes from China, and of course many different indigenous food traditions. And the national dish is a reflection of that. It is a version of fried rice called nasi goreng, and what makes this version different from other fried rices that you may have had before is that it's made with a sweet soy sauce and is served with a variety of toppings. These include fried shallots, pickled vegetables like carrots, peppers, and cucumbers, crushed up shrimp crackers, a fried egg, and sambal, which is a chili sauce. It sounds delicious and fun to eat. I love it when a dish has multiple textures and flavors in it. And now let's move on to something unexpected. The national sport of Indonesia. Can you guess what it is? I bet you probably can't because I was so surprised, but it's badminton. I haven't played or even thought about badminton since PE and junior high, and it never occurred to me that it might be a popular sport in other parts of the world. I also somehow missed that badminton has been an Olympic sport since 1992. And do you know which country has won the gold medal in badminton every single year since, with the exception of 2012? That's right, Indonesia! Indonesia also routinely takes first place in every other international badminton competition and holds its own tournament called the Indonesia Open. We have now come towards the end of the episode, and it is time for a fun fact to close us out. This episode's fun fact is that there are 127 active volcanoes in Indonesia. That is because the country is located in a very special part of the Ring of Fire, where four tectonic plates, the Eurasian Plate, the Indo-Australian Plate, the Philippine Plate, and the Pacific Plate are all bumping up against each other. You have probably heard about the volcano Krakatoa, which is on a small island in between the islands of Java and Sumatra. And you've probably heard about Krakatoa because in 1883, it had one of the largest volcanic eruptions in history. I skipped over this in the history portion, but the eruption was so loud that it could be heard 2,000 miles away in Australia and the sound wave it created was measured to have traveled around the world five times. Fortunately, the volcano is not located on one of the bigger islands, so it didn't cause as much destruction as it could have, but unfortunately, it is still active. And that is it for this episode of Let's Learn About Indonesia. If you haven't listened to episode 15a, Tutu Mu and the Giant, and Bawang Puti and Bawang Mera, Go check it out. This week, I tell two stories, one from the island of Java and the other from the island of Sumatra. And of course, if you want even more information about Indonesia or any of the countries or cultures that I highlight, follow the pod on Facebook or Instagram at Global Storytime Podcast. You can always email me at globalstorytimepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're so inclined, please rate me on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Diane Strand. Until next time, bye!